Well, I wanted to open by talking about a, a show that was on TV a while ago that uh, I imagine that many of you guys have seen, but I have never seen it, and I'm never going to watch it, all right? And, and it's, it's the show Lost. Have any of you seen the show Lost, any chance? Um, here's the reason I'm never going to watch that show, okay? Because uh, almost everyone I talk to, and I know there's differing opinions on this, but almost everyone I talk to says that they hated the ending. It's a show that, that it, it raised all these mysterious questions, and then in the end, it didn't answer any of them. And so you reach the end of the show, and pardon the pun, but you're lost, right? You don't actually, you don't actually find anything. So why would I want to watch a show that doesn't actually go anywhere? And I think, that, I think that this is kind of the point that the author of this passage, the preacher, is making today. He's, he's warning us as someone who's he's watched the entire show of life. And that's what he says in verse 15. In my, in my vain life, I have seen everything. And he says, listen, I've seen everything. And, and here's what he warns us, okay? That wisdom and righteousness are ultimately impossible for human beings to find. That wisdom and righteousness are ultimately impossible for human beings to find. The pursuit of wisdom and righteousness at the end of the day is a wild goose chase. It's like trying to see in the dark. It's finding something that can't actually be found. Now, I don't think that the preacher here, the, the author of this, is trying to tell us don't pursue wisdom and righteousness at all. I think he's just warning us that ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to find out that human beings cannot find these things. And here's the irony. He's actually trying to teach us wisdom here in this warning. So I, I was talking with a friend this week who said, we were talking about Ecclesiastes, and he said, you know, Ecclesiastes is just so discouraging. And, but as I was thinking about that, I thought, what's more discouraging? To watch lost season after season after season after season after season and come to the end and realize it doesn't go anywhere? Or to be warned beforehand, don't watch that show because it doesn't go anywhere. You see, part of wisdom is actually knowing the limits of wisdom. Knowing the past that we shouldn't explore, or at least that we shouldn't explore too far. And I think that's what the preacher is trying to teach us here. So we're going to look at this passage in three different sections. Uh, the first paragraph in verses 15 to 18, and then we have these four proverbs in verses 19 to 24. And then the last paragraph in verses 25 to 29. And, and, and the first section teaches us this. Life's not fair, so don't be overly wise or righteous. Life's not fair, so don't be overly wise or righteous. In verse 15, the preacher says, There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his suffering. Excuse me, who prolongs his life in his evil doing. You know, if you do what's right, it's supposed to work out well, Right? And if you, do, if you do what's wrong, it's supposed to be bad. But the, the preacher says that he's observed that it doesn't always work out this way. Sometimes the righteous person uh, dies early, and sometimes the wicked person prolongs their life. 
So how should this affect the way that we live? Well, the preacher's advice is to be, is uh, in verse 16. He says, so don't be overly righteous and don't make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? What's he saying here? I think he's saying this. Don't live in such a way that you always expect your right actions or your wisdom to have a good outcome. Because remember, life's not fair. The person who lives a good life and who goes to church and who doesn't smoke and who always watches their diet, they could get cancer and die at 30. I had a friend who that happened to this year. One of the most righteous people I've ever met. The person who's reckless and a partier and sleeps around and smokes and drinks and does drugs, they might live a long and happy life. You can't expect your right, your right actions to always have a good outcome. That doesn't mean that you should expect them to never have a good outcome. It's that just that you can't expect them to always have a good outcome. And if you do, you'll just be deeply frustrated at the end of the day. And I think that's actually what he's saying here in the end of verse 16 when he says, why should you destroy yourself? This verb in other places is actually translated shocked or dumbfounded or frustrated. Why should you make yourself so frustrated? It's the frustration of a person who gives themselves to careful, right living and then finds out at the end of the day, it doesn't always pay off, right? Life just doesn't work out that way. So the preacher says, don't be overly righteous. Now, how can we apply this? What does this look like specifically? I think this is difficult, but uh, <clears throat> I, I think there are a couple areas we can think of. I do think it applies to a legalistic kind of righteousness, trying to be overly righteous by by prohibiting things that God has not prohibited, like, like drinking or dancing or, or whatever, you know. Um, I don't think that most of us in our church struggle with that. But if you do, you know, I do think this passage cautions us, don't be overly righteous, right? Don't prohibit things that God doesn't prohibit. I also thought of uh, with this. I also thought of uh, the meal that we eat together every week. Uh, <clears throat> I think this passage is warning us: don't be overly righteous when we come to the Lord's Supper. And I'm thinking specifically uh, of of not taking the Lord's Supper because you've struggled with sin this week. I think this passage would be would tell us: don't don't be overly righteous. Now, if you're not a Christian you should definitely not come to the Lord's table. You shouldn't take the Lord's Supper, right? So if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not baptized, you, you, you're not part of a church, right? Don't come to this table at the end of the, at the, end of the meal. Our, our pastors often say it would be judgment and not blessing to you, right? So if you're not a Christian, don't come to the table. But, but if you are a Christian, if you do believe in Jesus, Right? If you do believe in the resurrection, if you've been baptized, if you're part of a church, I think you should always come to the table, right? And you might say to me, but, but you don't, I sinned this week, right? You, you don't know what I did. I sinned this week. And I would say, welcome to the club, right? We, we all sin this week, right? This, this is a meal for sinners, after all. 
It's a meal for repentant sinners, right? So if you're, if you're holding on to sin and saying, I'm not going to give that up, then, then you should not come to the table, right? But you could just sit there and you could just say, God, I repent right there. And then you could come to the table, right? It's a meal for sinners. I, I think that this passage would warn us, don't, don't be overly righteous. Don't, um, don't, you know, God's never asked you to live a perfect week to come to the table. Another area of application I thought of is, is something that many of us care deeply about today, and that is the issue of social justice or righteousness. I think this passage would warn us not to be overly righteous or overly just in this area. We should pursue righteousness in society. We should. But we shouldn't pursue it too much. Life's not fair, and we shouldn't expect it to be. Our society will never be perfectly just until Jesus comes back. So I think the preacher would warn you, if you're concerned with this, I think the preacher would warn you, don't be overly righteous in this area, or you will just be deeply frustrated at the end of the day. Well, what about being too wise? He, he warns us, don't make yourself too wise. Well, I, I think the preacher is warning us that we won't be able to figure everything out. Don't think, don't think this, don't think, if I just think about it long enough, or if I just read enough books, or if I just use the right method, or if I just study my Bible carefully enough, I'm going to be able to figure it out. It's not true, right? So, you know, we have some seminary students in here, and I think the preacher would say to us, if you're, if you're a seminary student, don't care too much about theology, that doesn't mean don't care about theology. The preacher cares about theology, right? But don't care too much about theology. It will just be frustrating at the end of the day. Or some of us are involved in research of various kinds for our job. And, and I think the preacher would say, don't think that you'll always be able to come to the end of it. Sometimes God grants us insight and discovery and, and we make progress but there are, are limits to our human ability to understand the world. Why make yourself frustrated? Don't think that you're always going to be able to answer all the questions. Maybe some of us have perplexing relationships uh, with either our family or friends or here at church, and, and you find yourself, have you ever done this? You find yourself thinking about it a lot. Like, what went wrong there? What did I... What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? What can I do to fix it? Whose fault is it? Well, I think the preacher would say, don't think too much about it. That doesn't mean don't think about it. It doesn't mean be foolish and unreflective, right? But don't think too much about it. The human heart and human relationships are ultimately unfathomable. Why would you frustrate yourself by thinking too much about it? I think we could think similarly about facing difficult situations in life or, or even tragedy, situations that are, are tough and they raise a lot of questions for us. We should think about these questions. We shouldn't just ignore them, right, and, and act as if something never happened. We should think about them. We should process them, talk to people, talk with God. But I think the preacher would warn us we shouldn't think about it too much. At the end of the day, life's not fair. And that means we're never going to know all the answers. So why frustrate yourself? 
Well, the preacher's warning us, don't be overly wise or righteous. But I don't think he's saying, so just go the other way, you know? Don't worry about righteousness or wisdom at all. And I say that because of verse 17. Verse 17 says, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So it's interesting that he continues to affirm the idea that wickedness and foolishness leads to death. It doesn't always work out that way, but it does work out that way. So when he says, don't be overly righteous, it doesn't mean give yourself to wickedness. And when he says, don't be overly wise, it doesn't mean be a fool. Rather, he says, it's good to take hold of both of these pieces of advice and hold on to them. I think that's what verse 18 means. He says, it's good that you should take hold of this piece of advice and from that piece of advice withhold not your hand for the one who fears God shall come out, and the ESV says from, but I think we should translate this, should come out with both of them. And that means that we should, we should actually hold on to both pieces of advice. Don't be too righteous, but don't be wicked. Don't be overly wise, but don't be a fool. Notice here that he actually speaks about the one who fears God. In the wisdom literature of the Bible, this is like a technical term for the wise person. So uh, Job says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So notice here the preacher is definitely not calling us to abandon wisdom. He's teaching us how to be wise. But what he's teaching us is part of wisdom is knowing that there are limits to wisdom. And he's telling this, uh, he's telling us this as someone he's, who's watched the whole show, right? He's, he's, pushed lim- he's pushed wisdom out as far as it can possibly take you. And what he says is, here's what he found. Life's not fair. So don't be overly righteous or wise. In fact, in the second section, he actually teaches us that no one is righteous, and that wisdom can't actually be found at the end of the day. In verses 19 to 24, we have four proverbs about wisdom and righteousness. And, and they are, they're, again, they're warning us about the limits of wisdom and righteousness. Why don't we start with the, the two sayings about righteousness? Uh, we see that in verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Well, this is a truism, isn't it? I mean, Christians know this truth. Uh, The Apostle Paul actually quotes this verse in one of the more famous passages of the Bible, where he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Christians know this. And I think to a certain extent, non-Christians know this too, right? Nobody's perfect. Nobody's sinless, right? We, We know this. But I think it's easy to know this in our head, but not have it actually filter down into our heart and affect the way that we live. And I think the preacher is kind of exposing this in his application of the truth in verses 21 and 22. Look at what he says. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So if it's true that no one's righteous, that everyone's a sinner, here's what the preacher says. He says, so... Don't take to heart the things that people say. People say mean things all the time, right? You think about kids in school. Kids in school say mean things all the time. 
Think about at your work what people say about other people or what they say about their boss behind their back. Right? You think about what students say about teachers, right? Or teachers say about students, right? You, you think about what kids say about their parents, right? When they're with their friends. Or, or maybe what kids say about their siblings. People say mean, hurtful things all the time. It, we're, we're sinful people, right? And, and, and we say sinful, hurtful things. And I think what the preacher's telling us is just don't take it to heart. Don't take to heart all the things people say. There's another famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon, and he said that, he said, every pastor has to have a blind eye and a deaf ear, all right? And, and what he means is, you got to know when to listen, and you got to know when not to listen, right? And, and I think that's really helpful for all of us to hear. Now, I don't think that the preacher is just telling us to ignore people. Like, they're just jerks or something, all right? Like, your mom says, don't listen to those people. They don't know what they're talking about, all right? I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. Um, I think what he's telling us is that one way to actually preserve relationships with people uh, is to ignore some of the things that they say. I mean, think about how many times you've said something that you just wish people would forget. I can think of many things that I've said that I think, oh, God, please help them to forget this, right? All right? Or I can think of things I've said about other people that I hope, I really hope don't get around to that person, right? I wonder if you feel that, right? The preacher says, he says, you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. If we think, oh, I just hope people forget what I said, you know, how much more should we be willing to forget what other people say? Not to take it to heart. Don't don't let other people's words come into your heart and take root. Forget about them. You know, ignore them. And don't care. I wonder, do you care about what other people think or say about you, right? I think the preacher would say, don't care about that. To be honest, you don't want to know, right? You don't want to know. Blaise Pascal said, if all men knew what each said of the other, there wouldn't be four friends in the world, Right? Uh, we don't want to know these things. Um, don't take it to heart, the things that people say. So you see, the preacher wants us to live in light of the truth that there's none righteous, right? Uh, and that we are all sinners. He also wants us to live in light of a truth about wisdom, all right? And, and the truth he speaks about wisdom is this, that it can't ultimately be found. It can't ultimately be found. So the interesting thing is in verse 19, he says, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. So he says, wisdom's a good thing, right? In one sense, it gives you strength. You should pursue it, right? Uh, you should pursue wisdom. But here's the thing. Don't expect that you're going to find it at the end of the day. Don't expect that you're ultimately going to find wisdom. Who can find it? Nobody can find it, right? The preacher says, who can find it? Nobody can find it. It's, it's far off, he found. I mean, if it's far off for him, how much farther off is it for us? It's deep. You know, sometimes the closer you get to something, the farther you actually are from it. Think about relationships. Sometimes isn't it easy to meet someone new and to actually have a meaningful and close conversation with them? Whereas the people who you actually are closest with, 
and who actually know you the best, how difficult is it to have meaningful and close conversations with them? You can be closer to something and yet farther from it at the same time. And I think the preacher's telling us that life and wisdom is something like this. The closer you get to understanding it, the farther off it is. Wisdom is very deep. It's deeper than we can possibly go. It can't ultimately be found. And in fact, <clears throat> in the last section, the preacher teaches us that at the end of the day, you don't want to find it out, all right? Because all there is to find is a bitter truth about humanity. And I see this in verses 25 through 29. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Well, here I think we see how Ecclesiastes points toward the experience of King Solomon with many women. I wonder, have you ever read the story of King Solomon in 1 Kings? In this story, Solomon is presented as a man of marvelous wisdom and, and marvelous piety. He was a king over Israel who, who created a strong and wealthy and peaceful society. And then he built the temple for the Lord, uh, the place where people from all over could come and pray to God and he would hear them. You know, reading, reading the beginning of 1 Kings 1 to 10, you might almost think, wow, is this the Messiah, right? This is the son of David. Is this the Messiah whose reign would last forever? But then you hit 1 Kings 11. And there's, there's this surprising turn in the story. And here's what it says. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart after, after other gods. All of his wisdom, all of his piety, ruined because of the women that he loved. I think here in Ecclesiastes, the preacher reflects on the experience of loving women who, who capture you and lead you away from God, lead you the wrong way. He, he reflects on the bitterness of this experience. So I do think it's a warning to men um, not to fall in love with the wrong woman, right? With someone who will lead you away from God. This is prospective, okay, right? If you're married, you're married to the right woman, okay, uh, right? Uh, but I think, I think it's a warning to us, don't let your heart be snared, right, by the wrong woman. I think we could equally apply it to women, right? Don't let your heart be snared by the wrong man, by someone who will lead you away from God. I think we could, I think we could apply, apply this to the, the lure of pornography, right? What's pornography? They're, they're images designed to snare you, to entrap you, right? Do, 
do you think that people make pornography because they love you and because they think, I would just really love to see you flourish as a human being, right? No. They make it to use you, right? And to trap you and to snare you and to pull you down and to pull you away from God. I want us to notice here that the preacher isn't just throwing women under the bus, all right? It can sound like that when you read it in first glance. But I think at the end of the day, what the preacher is really doing is he's throwing all of us under the bus. You see that in verses 28 and 29. In verse 28, he says, "One, One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all of these I have not found. Right? No matter if you're a man or a woman, these are not good odds, right? One man among a thousand or one. His point, it's a rhetorical way of speaking. And I think his point is not just about women. It's about all of humanity. And he comes out with it clearly in verse 29. Here's what he says. This alone I have found. Okay, you've searched it out, Solomon. What have you found? God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. See, at the end of the day, the only thing to find is a bitter truth about humanity. I think that this verse teaches us, verse 29 teaches us very clearly the doctrine of the fall of man, of the fall of humanity. Notice here that there are actually two statements. One is that God made man upright. God made man upright. We're made in the image of God. When he made us, he said, this is very good. Right? This is why there's so much goodness in the human race. Right? This is why there's so much compassion and kindness in the human race. Right? Why are your neighbors so kind if they are? Right? Uh, well, because God made man upright. <clears throat> I think sometimes as Christians, we're too quick to, to want to say, but people are sinful. Right? Uh, all right, we'll get there. Right? But first, we have to remember, God made man in his own image. He made man upright. I think this explains the goodness uh, of humanity in the world. And yet, right, the second half, they have sought out many schemes, right? We, we, all of us, have fallen so far from what God has made us to be. We are a, a scheming and a treacherous people. I want you to know this. You can't trust me, right? I know my heart, and I don't know it that well. And I know you can't trust me in certain things, right? I can't trust you either, right? We are a treacherous and a scheming people. We are not to be trusted. This is the bitter truth that the preacher had discovered. You know, I think in our polarized culture, we, we, it, is, it is too easy and we too quickly see evil over there and good over here. But the problem is them, whoever them is, or that group. It's not here. It's not us, right? Sometimes even, sometimes we, th- we say the problem's God. God, how could you do this, right? It's not me. But the preacher won't let us do this, right? He, he keeps us focused and he says, no. He says, God made man upright, right? Are we going to blame God for all the kindness and compassion in the human race? God made man upright, but they have sought after many schemes, if we try to say the problem's them, then the preacher comes back and he says, there's not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. You see, the problem is not them out there. The problem is all of us, right? It's all of us. 
And I think this is why, at the end of the day, that wisdom and righteousness are so hard for us to find. Because humanity's a fallen race, right? We can't solve that problem. We really can't even understand that problem. Trying to understand our sin is like trying to see in the dark. Right? I once went to Mammoth Cave National Park. Any of you ever been to Mammoth Cave National Park before? It's pretty, it's pretty amazing, actually. And they take, the tour guides take you in, and you, you go down through the tunnels, and at least my experience is they bring you into a huge, massive cavern under the ground, right? And then they tell you, okay, we're going to shut all the lights off now, right? So you're, you're there under the ground, and they shut off all the lights. And you, you open your eyes, and you wait for your eyes to adjust, and you try to stare a little bit harder to see if you can see anything. But you know what? No matter, no matter how long you wait, and no matter how hard you stare, you can't see in the dark, right? You can't see in the dark. And I think that's similar to what, what, the, what uh, the preacher says it's like to be a fallen human being and try to pursue righteousness and wisdom. That wisdom and righteousness are ultimately impossible for human beings to find. <clears throat> and this is why the gospel is good news. Because what the gospel teaches us is that God is not calling us at the end of the day to search to find, to seek out and search and find wisdom and righteousness, right? The gospel teaches us that God, who is wisdom and righteousness, has actually entered into our world and become a human being. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the righteousness of God. You know, Jesus, Solomon's son, actually, ultimately, Jesus knew the bitter truth of humanity better than anyone did. Uh, and yet, <clears throat> he didn't partake in our sin, right? If I say, I can't be trusted, you can't be trusted, we don't say that about Jesus. Jesus can be trusted 100%. <clears throat> if you want to see the wisdom and righteousness of God, look no further than the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ is God's wisdom brought near to us and displayed clearly to us. And one day when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, God's wisdom and righteousness will be clearly displayed to the world. Let me say it another way, okay? The gospel is like a show whose ending you really don't want to miss. It's better than any show you've ever seen or ever will see. But here's the deal. You can't watch it on Netflix, okay? So how do you watch the gospel? Well, you repent of your sins. You trust entirely in Jesus Christ. You get baptized. You join the church. And then every Sunday there's a new episode released, all right? I don't know how many seasons they're going to be, but I want you to know this. You don't want to miss the ending. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that...